On this episode, we talk Forbes, Entrepreneur.com, Huffington Post, and Kivo Daily. Media icon Dylan Kivo joined the show to share his story on how he gets featured in the biggest publications in the world, why he started his own publication, and why it's so important to build your own digital footprint. If you're building a brand online, you have to separate yourself from your competition, and Dylan teaches us how in this episode. If you love the show, don't forget to share, subscribe, rate, review. All that helps really spread the message, and thank you all so much for listening. Do you ever wonder how some podcasts get thousands of new listeners and you don't? Do you wonder how people get featured in major publications? Do you ever wonder how Instagram videos go viral? Welcome to the Giant Voices Podcast, hosted by Carson Jones. Every week we bring you the biggest names in podcasting, marketing, and public relations to help you break through the noise and take your brand to the next level. Oh, And we like to mix in the uncomfortable topics like mental health, anxiety, and the internal battles that keep us from growing. Now, let's get to the show. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Giant Voices Podcast. On today's episode, Dylan Kivo joins the show. Dylan is a media superstar and founder of one of the biggest online publications in the world, KivoDaily.com. Dylan has written for some of the biggest publications and been published in the others like Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, Yahoo, MSNBC, just to name a few. Uh, He works for Fortune 500 companies, professional athletes, some of the biggest creators in the world. And most importantly, Dylan's an incredible friend. I'm never too proud to uh, tell him I love him because he really is one of the best (laughs) people I've ever had the honor to meet and work with. And I'm so excited to have him on the show. Dylan, thanks for coming on. Dude, Carson, thank you so much, man. I know we've been friends for quite some time now, and we've we've had so many long talks. And I remember when you, before you even wanted to start this podcast, I told you this is probably one of the best moves you could possibly make. So it's an honor to be here, and it's an honor to be your friend as well, man. It's kind of funny because you know when I started this podcast, I uh, I knew I wanted to have you on. I was just waiting for the right time, and uh, you know you posted on your story that you had a little bit of time today, and I was like, you know what? Let's stop talking about. It. Let's stop waiting. Let's go ahead and do this thing. So. <laughs> Um, so this will this will be fun, uh, but it was kind of funny just digging into more of your backstory. We've gotten to know each other so well, but I didn't know a lot of a lot of your story. Uh, I knew you were a hockey player, um, but there was some stuff in the middle I didn't know about. So tell me the story of how you you became this media superstar. How'd you get here? Absolutely. So it's a crazy, it's a long story. So I grew up in Southern California, Orange County specifically, and I lived there for about the first 18, 19 years, right? So I have a brother, his name is Daniel. I have wonderful, you know, mom and dad, but I grew up and hockey was the dream. My dream was to go to the NHL ever since I was really, really young. And so, I, I mean, my parents got me to play hockey at like four years old and I, and I moved up the ranks very quickly. And I remember I was like six years old playing with like nine years, you know, nine, 10 year olds you know, my brother being one of them, and they kept just kicking me out of leagues and bumping me up because the parents kept complaining that I was so good. And so that's when I knew, but most importantly, my parents knew, holy shit, you know, I think we, I think we might have something here, right? And so like, they really, they really pushed me with hockey. And, you know, they were really good with not trying to distract me with other sports, with, which I really appreciate that they did, because I really feel like now looking back on things, retro perspective, I think that if they would have, you know, shine, you know, shine light on all these other sports that all these other kids were playing, I don't think I would have reached the level of success that I did with hockey, because I would have been so distracted by all these, you know, baseball, football, you know, what have you. So I've been playing hockey forever. And then 
I got a call when I was 18 years old. I was actually playing in Ontario, California, and I get a call from this Coach Jones. That's his name, right? He goes, remember, he has this just really deep voice. Is this Kivo? And I'm like, oh, yes. You know, what, what did I do wrong? And so he's like, yeah, I'm the coach of the, uh, you know, the Hampton Roads Whalers, and you, we've been watching a lot of your footage and stuff. And what we really want to do is we want to move you out here next week and have you start, you know, first line assistant captain on a hockey team. And let's, you know, we want to have you, you know, win a championship, uh, championship team with us. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. However, you know, I'm 18 years old. I got to ask my parents, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can just get up and move like this. And so I asked them within 24 hours, I made the decision, boom, but I jumped on a plane, you know, a couple of days later and I found myself in Virginia beach, Virginia. And I just, I remember like, just my, like my, my past just flashed before me. It was just like, holy shit. Like I'm actually on my way to hopefully the NHL. I mean, I was 18, you know, it really, it could have, it, things could have went either way. Right. I could have just got a lot of energies or um, injuries and just never did anything with hockey. And unfortunately that's actually what ended up happening. So I had, a t you know, one too many concussions. I had too many, you know, wrist and knee injuries that I just, I knew the longevity of the game of hockey wasn't necessarily going to be my future forever because of all these, you know, substantial injuries that were taking an effect on my life. I mean, good thing I never had any crazy brain injuries where it really like knocked me out for, you know, a couple of days. But still, I was like, is this really something that I want to put my body through? And then when I'm older, you know, not, not really knowing if that was really worth it or not. And so that was kind of the start of, and as far as like Dylan Kibo growing up, you know, like the first, you know, 19, 20 years of, of my life. And then, you know, once I figured out, holy crap, I can't do hockey forever. I was like, there's got to be something else, something else I could do. And I know growing up in Southern California, being a firefighter was like a hometown hero, right? Like everybody looked up to, looked up to firefighters. Like they're just like basically Superman, right? And so as a kid, I always knew like, damn, it'd be awesome to be a firefighter. But what I didn't know is society really shaped my mind in my thoughts to thinking that was what was, you know, hypothetically cool. And so I feel like a lot of us want to do what's cool in society's eyes, not necessarily our own looking, in, you know, looking in the mirror. And so I quit hockey, got my EMT license, and then boom, I got hired by Norfolk Fire Department about, you know, six to, I don't know, six to 12 months later. And then I found myself in not boot camp, but just like, you know, in, as, as, um, as a recruit in training for six to eight months, it was, and I was miserable. I remember waking up, you know, three, four in the morning every, every single day thinking, holy crap, I hate this, I hate this. But the other side of, of me was saying, no, remember, Dylan, this is what you signed up for because it was cool. This is what other people think is cool. This is what you should be doing. And I remember waking up one morning thinking, I looked myself in the mirror. I was actually at the recruiting station. I remember looking in the mirror saying, you know, or ask, more asking myself, like, why the hell am I, am I here? And I, if my only answer was because others think it's cool, that's probably not where I should be. And so I actually walked into the, um, like the, uh, the lieutenants at the, at the time. I said, guys, I quit. I turned in, you know, my belt and everything. And I said, I'm done. And they're like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I just don't know. I, I just know I don't want to do this anymore. And so I, I really quit without a plan B. I had no idea what I was going to do. However, my mentor, Chris, at the time said, Dylan, you should try to build websites. And I said, Chris, I played hockey. I was a firefighter. Do you honestly think somebody like me is going to be sitting behind a computer building a website? You're crazy. I'm never, I'm never going to do it. And after putting my pride and ego aside, I said, okay, I'm going to give it a try. And so I did that and I got really good at it really fast. However, it seemed like it was so hard for me to find a client. I said, I am not going to come home until I find a client. I, in theory, that was what I was planning on doing. Long story short, I went out for eight to nine hours a day on foot in the shopping centers for two weeks before I landed my first client for 450 bucks for a website that took me about a month. Long story short, that was like kind of like the learning phase. 
three months later, I landed my first, my first client. His name's Paul. He owns a, a $2 billion health, a health business in the MLM industry. And so he's like, Dylan, this is what I need from you. I need you to help me build my personal brand. I said, boom, I'll do it. I said that without even knowing what personal <laughs> brand was. Looking back on it, I think that was freaking crazy. But that's kind of how I got to where I am today is I tested everything and I learned everything for about, and I, he was my, he was my mentor for about two and a half years and long story short, moved to Nashville. We hung out, you know, four to five days a week and he really took me under his wing and he showed me like the, the foundation of business and how to do things right and build a successful business, starting with the foundation. Because if you have a business that's built on quicksand, it's going to fail every single time. And so that's, that's what I'm really grateful for that whole thing. But yeah, that's kind of a long story, but that's kind of the, the big picture about me. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of irony there too. Um, I think we both had like similar upbringings playing sports and then, you know, going to school and then people telling you this is what you should do. And you get into these paths of like, I, I remember when I first started working, I, I, I was in insurance. Uh, I just finished up writing like the introduction to a book I'm going to be publishing soon. And I, I had to go back and look at some of the stuff, like look at my, my life and go back and reflect on my story, just like you went through right there. And I remember working these jobs and doing these things and um, I didn't enjoy any of them and I didn't know why I was doing them kind of like you and firefighting like you're just doing stuff because that's what you thought you were supposed to do and then you wake yep. up and you wake up one day and you're like I don't know what I'm gonna do next but I'm not doing this and <laughs> that's exactly right man. <laughs> that happened to me I was selling life insurance uh, I, I call it death insurance because I was selling <laughs> life insurance to senior citizens to cover their burial expenses I was depressed, broke. I had no clue why in the world I was doing it. And I did the same thing. I woke up one day and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I'm not doing this. And uh, <laughs> yep. I think the reason that we both kind of flocked to this digital space is for me, I, I just wanted my freedom. You know, I, I wanted to be able to do what I want. I wanted to be able to live on my own terms. I hated the idea of an office. I hated the idea of having to be somewhere and listen to somebody else. And I think that's why I went to the, dig the digital route because I knew if I could figure out how that worked and I could work from a computer, then nobody could tell me what, where to be. Nobody could tell me what to do. And that's why I got into it. And I think that's, uh, that's how we ran into each other. <laughs> it is. That's right, man. It's like, kind of like we're both chasing the same dream and in the same swim lane. So it's been, it's really funny because you know, your business Carson is, it kind of runs parallel with what I do. You know, you're obviously more on the podcast side where I'm more on the digital, little bit of print, you know, here and there, but it's like we really complement each other in such a way that a lot of people, they really can't because you and I don't look at each other necessarily as competitors. It's how can we collaborate to just, just to really win together at the end of the day. 100%. And they, they work hand in hand. I, one of the things I tell people is um, the goal of a podcast is to tell a story that ultimately extends far beyond just that piece of audio. Because if our conversation just lives here and doesn't go to social media, it doesn't go to a publication, then it dies here. You know, it lives forever, but it ultimately doesn't do everything that you want it to do. So if you can take a story on a podcast, and then ultimately it goes to social media and then it goes to publications. It's just building a, brand, a storyboard and a brand far beyond just this conversation. And I think that's what makes both our mediums so special is it has the ability to stretch far beyond just that, that one conversation or that one article. And uh, I love that. Yeah. And that's, that's how, how, how we got in touch. You, you know, I, I would say I came across Kivo daily. I thought that was so cool because how cool is it for people to see their name on a headline or see themselves 
featured on a story on a publication they grew up idol, idolizing. And that's where I wanna start here with, with you is when did you discover digital publications and how did, you, how did you start down that road? So you went from building websites and then started down this road. How did that happen? Yeah, so obviously in marketing, you know, there's, you have your social media, you have your digital print publications, whether it's Forbes or, or that's, you know, a billboard in Times Square, or if it's a podcast, right? Or even radio, right? There's so many different mediums of advertising. And I wanted, I knew advertising was an av avenue that I wanted to go down. However, I didn't know which lane I wanted to go down, right? There's so many different, there's so many different, you know, shiny objects in marketing and people think theirs is always the most important, which I know from a holistic perspective, you have to utilize all in sync to successfully advertise a campaign. It's not just written word is more valuable, more valuable than visual YouTube or, you know, Instagram, Snapchat, you have to use them all in sync. Right. And so as soon as I landed my old client, Paul, again, the, the personal branding client, which probably had no, I had no, uh, no intentions of really getting him on a Huffington post. But once I did, he literally became an overnight success where people, what people call nowadays is an overnight success, right? He just, boom, he blew up in the media. Everyone on social media is talking about him. Once I saw that, I was like, boom, it just sparked, dude. It just, I knew for a fact, that's what I wanted to get into because I've always been pretty infatuated with the fact of how can I literally make somebody famous and it's one thing to have, you know, a blown up Instagram account where it looks like you have hundreds of thousands of followers. Unfortunately, nowadays, everybody knows that that can be, you know, falsified and it's easy to buy followers. It's easy, it's easy to do this. However, if you have a reputable publication like Forbes Inc. Entrepreneur Magazine saying so-and-so is the best in his craft because X, Y, and Z, the majority of people are going to believe that because it's a third party credible source that's lending their arm out and saying, yes, we are saying, you know, Carson Jones has the best podcast in the world versus Carson Jones saying, I have the best podcast in the world, or even his buddy Dylan Kibo saying Carson Jones has the best. So as soon as I figured out like that, I can actually, I can credibly cite, you know, a source from like Forbes, I knew that it's going to be a lot easier to go into business with something that has a backbone versus something that doesn't. And so it was more the fact that I can make somebody famous overnight was really what I got attached to. Yeah, it, it's incredible. And you've taken it to the next level. Like not only have you built great relationships, but you're, you've written for a lot of these publications, you're getting clients published in these publications. If somebody wants to write for, for a publication like a Forbes Entrepreneur Inc., what's the process of getting in touch with an editor or getting, getting yourself published on, uh, on one of those big outlets? Yeah, so there's there's so many different ways. It's either one you have you know a friend or family who writes for a publication, and you know you pitch them a story and they just love it, and they, or they want to help you or your client out. That's that's obviously the best way, right? It's kind of like a warm lead in sales. However, there's a website called HelpReporterOut.com, and I I think that everybody should go. Like if you do not want to hire a publicist, you know somebody like me, and you want to just do it the free route, I highly suggest you go to HelpReporter.com out. And you just give it a look, sign up as basically a source. So you have your story about you or your company and you can literally pitch to, you know, hundreds of thousands of journalists over, you know, the period of a couple of weeks. And, you know, basically you sign up for all the categories that you're interested in or, you know, the type of journalist that you want to pitch to. And then every, it's like six in the morning and like 12 in the afternoon, they'll send you inquiries saying, hey, well, you know, journalists will say, hey, we're looking for this, this, and that. If you fit the mold, great. You pitch your story. I'm not going to get into the, the, the best way to pitch a story. That's kind of like, that could be a whole podcast by itself, but that's a great <laughs> source. And we could, yeah, we can talk about that later. Also, what I call like a drafting method. For example, if you are Grant Cardone 
and of course it's easy for him to get pressed, but I'm using his name because everybody knows him. And let's just say his, what people say is either his competitor competitor or somebody who's within the same space could potentially be Gary Vee or Tony Robbins. And I think a lot of people can agree with that, especially your audience. Mm-hmm. What Grant Cardone could do is he can, he can just real simple Google Gary Vee or Tony Robbins and see what journalists have wrote or have written about the, you know, these, these competitors. And so you see John Doe who writes for Forbes magazine has written about Gary Vee because he's doing the, you know, the flipping method with the sales or whatever it is, right? He can, Grant Cardone can contact that same journalist and say, Hey, I noticed you wrote, you've written this piece about Gary Vee or Tony Robbins from this angle. Hey, what if we, what if I pitch you a story and we do something this angle? So you want to make sure that you're, you're hitting the journalists that write about your niche, but you have to give them value. Quite frankly, these, these publications, these journalists, they don't give a shit about you. And I see that very like bluntly because it's mm-hmm. true. They don't, they don't owe you a sales commercial or a sales article on their massive publication that gets millions of views. They owe everything to their audience, their readers, value and education, and sometimes entertainment. So if you can nail all three of those down in the same article, you have, that's a winning piece right there for the most part. Now, you may take a couple of publications to pick it up, but just always make sure that you're providing value to that journalist and looking at it from their perspective rather than how can I get sales from this article? Because nine times out of ten you do that, you're going to get denied. So those are like the two big methods that I like to teach a lot of my clients. Yeah. So, so what is the balance? Because if you're reaching out to them, you know, I feel like they understand and they're getting pitched by so many people on a day-to-day basis. Like, here's my story. Here's what you should write about. Here's, you know, what I'm pushing. What's the balance between building a relationship, pitching content and giving value in a sense that they, because they know you're after something but they also have content Correct. to put out. So what is that balance and how do you, how do you tiptoe around that to, uh, so that they think that they're getting something out of it and everybody's winning? Well, first and foremost, the most, the most important thing to do in any pitch is make it look like it's authentic, organic, and you're not, you almost want to make it seem like you're pitching to them and they are like you're almost testing the waters to see if, if you're actually going to let them write about your story. Because if you go to it from that angle, it's, it's really like a 180 degree, right? It's like, instead of you feeling like you're selling something to them, it's almost like, let this journalist be worthy of accepting your story. And what I mean by that is if you have, if you have a story that's about, you know, you made a million dollars a month on the, on the greatest Amazon automation store and you think it's you know, the best stories in sliced bread and this is what everyone's going to want to you know, be picking up on, you have, to, you have to basically craft your story, pitch it to MSNBC, Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, and depending on their response is typically how your follow-up email should go. Because before I even go into any of that stuff, though, I always research my journalist, right? So if I see a journalist who writes for Forbes, but I notice, you know, he, he or she has a cooking business on the side, what I'll usually do is, remember, value first. What I'll typically do is say, hey, I noticed that you do this on the side, blah, blah, blah. How can I provide value to those companies for you? And so what typically happens is they'll say, yeah, well, I would love to get, you know, more press. I just started this new, you know, cooking business, whatever it is. You say, great, I can get that company in X, Y, and Z. And so I typically try to make the journalists that I work with and build a relationship with almost as if they owe me something. So since I just got them onto two, three publications that are pretty significant to their brand, it's going to make, you know, a big, a big difference in their branding. Well, then if I say, hey, I'm also looking to get this article in the place that you write, they typically feel compelled, like they almost owe me something. And so I try to flip the script to where it's like, 
I'd put them in a different seat. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good way to look at it because that's how I, I built a lot of my relationships in the podcast industry. It's, it was, Hey, let me, let me run a few campaigns for you. Let me help you expand your podcast. And then let's, and then let's talk. And then people are a lot more excited yeah. to talk to you once you provide some value and they're like, okay, this guy doesn't just want something for me. He's also, he's also got something of value as well. And now we're building a relationship as opposed to a one-sided, um, you know, one-sided business transaction. Cause if people, if people feel like they're going to take advantage of, or they're getting used, they just won't pick up the calls anymore. Cause they're getting those all the time. Exactly. Yep. That's true. And having obviously, if you, you know, a very nice, you know, title and the subject line is all that stuff, you know, plays a big role as well. Because sometimes they won't even, if, if those don't check off certain, you know, parts of the list, they won't even open up your email to begin with. Yeah. So there's two sides of publications, which is so ironic because there's the relationship side with building relationships with reporters that can publish your clients. But then there's also the contributor side, which you also do. You write for some of the biggest publications as well. What's the process like? getting yourself approved to write on a major publication? So that one's a little more difficult. You know, I not only say that really to say this, depending on the publication, a lot of times, for example, TechCrunch. Well, just because for the most part, they only cover, you know, technology topics and categories and stuff like that. So if you're a mechanic and trying to work on or write on some, the next Ferrari or Lamborghini coming out, there's a good chance that no matter how, how well written your content is, you know, your articles are, they're never going to take you because that's not their, that's not their lane. Right. And so if you want to go to a mobile one or something that's a little bit more, um, you know, automotive savvy, that would make more sense. But first and foremost, you have to do a lot of research and dive into the publications that actually fit your mold. So it, to make sure it even makes sense because you can't be pitching to somebody about a topic that they're not even interested in to begin with. And just because they are, you know, just because Forbes, yes, they write about entrepreneurship or business or what have you, that doesn't mean that they're looking for another writer that's writing, you know, in those specific categories. They may be full. They may just either be shortening up their staff on the editorial side of things. A lot of it is kind of just supply and demand when it comes to that. And then also, too, it's like if you've been featured in these major publications, sometimes they, they look highly, you know, of that. And sometimes it's like, holy crap, we do not want him writing for us because, you kind of get that, that, that fine, you know, the razor's edge where it's like, is he going to sell placements just because he writes for us? Or is he going to do it the ethical way? And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that will become a writer and just say, hey, I'm going to just sell, you know, sell these articles away and make thousands of dollars, which is the most unethical, unethical thing you can do. And I highly suggest you, you do not do that. That's where like lawsuits come into place and stuff like that. Yeah. It's hard to get approved on these publications. It takes a lot of work is what I found too, because they want you to submit an article and you can't just write one article and then go submit it to everywhere because the worst thing that can happen is you submit an article and it gets picked up and then another publication picks up that same article. They both publish it and now there's duplicate content and now they're both mad at you. Yeah, that's it's funny. You actually bring up a good point. So a lot of people don't think about that. So one thing I always teach as well is to make sure just to give like at least a, you know, one to two weeks courtesy for a response, and especially these bigger publications, you know, they get, they get pitched hundreds of times every single week. So I like to give kind of like, I'd say 10 to 14 day window of just a courtesy response. And Hey, if they don't respond in, you know, a week or two, you're fair game to pitch the same articles, you know, some other publication and that's in your, you have the right to, and they, there's no way they can be upset because they understand that, you know, geez, he, he emailed this, you know, a week or two ago, we haven't responded. And then we Google the same, the title of this article and it pops up on, you know, entrepreneur. 
then it's like, okay, we're not going to pick it up, but good thing you got it somewhere else. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people aren't, aren't able to either. They don't have the credibility or they don't have the work ethic or patience because it's hard to write an article and then send it out. And you don't know whether that's going to get published or whether you just wasted your time, you know, and it takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of structure to, uh, to put out that much content and send it out and just hope that somebody's going to get back to you. Yeah, I know. And that's why a lot of people, they write for Kivo daily, man, because you know, Kivo daily isn't quite at that tier of like your, you know, your Forbes or Inc. entrepreneur just yet. I mean, eventually it will be in the, in the near future. However, a lot of people it's kind of like training wheels, right? And so they got to put on the training wheels before they can ride the bike without them. And so that's why we, we basically like to accept not necessarily just anybody, as long as they're grammar and they have actually good value for our audience, we'll, we will accept you. You know, we're, we're pretty open to that. And so that's why a lot of people really like Kiva Daily, not only because, you know, it indexes on Google and it looks great for building that digital footprint out, but it really gives that opportunity to share your, vo- share your voice with the masses without feeling like you're suppressed under the, you know, the authority of Forbes. Yeah, and you completely buried my lead because that was where I'm going next. My favorite publication is Kivo Daily. It's uh, the fastest online uh, publication out there. Uh, I love writing on Kivo Daily. It's a great audience. It's a great place to get exposure, articles index, and it's amazing. So you built Kivo Daily out of uh, a bit of a need. Um, I know we've talked about this so much uh, about the way that publications, like the, the, the doomsday of Huffington Post when they cut off all their contributors, and uh, how a lot of publications are going that direction. Why did you start Kivo Daily? And what's, been, what's that been like to watch it grow over the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's, you know, that's a question I get asked all the time. And you know, the biggest thing, the biggest reason why I started this publication was first and foremost, to never make a penny. That was never even a thought. However, you know, it's fortunately, that hasn't been the case. And I have been able to uh, have some fun on that side of things. But as far as like, the, the real purpose and reason was actually for everybody else besides myself. It was to, like I said earlier, is to give a voice to, to more so like the younger entrepreneurs who they wanted to get, like they wanted to taste the game of entrepreneurship and really see what it's like to feel like they're writing for, a, you know, a big publication like New York Times or one that's really, really credible and, you know, very notable. And so that's why the look and feel of Kivo Daily is like that. It's kind of like you're similar to that, the touch and feel of your kind of a blend between like entrepreneur and huffingtonpost.com. And so I wanted to give people, again, a place where they can wear the training wheels, but feel comfortable writing in a publication that still reaches a lot of people because Kibo Daily alone reaches between 50 to 100,000 people monthly and it's only growing. And the, it's only been around for a little bit over a year. And we, it's been very fortunate enough to reach like, you know, top 5,000 websites in the world and like, you know, cool stuff like that. And all that is just your social media, just sharing, right? So sharing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, what have you, especially like the Instagram swipe up links and stuff. We get a lot of traffic from that. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that was basically it, man. I spent, I actually spent 80 hours a week for six months straight before I made it my, the first penny off advertising for Kivo Daily. And I'll never forget making that, and it realistic, it was, you know, obviously it wasn't penny. I think it was like a hundred bucks or something for an you know, advertorial article. And I'll never forget making that hundred dollars felt better than the days that I made $20,000 in a single day. Because the amount of work that went into building that publication was literally almost like blood, sweat, and tears. Dude, I remember falling asleep at four or five in the morning, waking up, you know, four or five hours later to just grind, grind, grind. And I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew that I had to move forward. And if I went forward, that's where that's the direction of success. And so that's that's kind of the whole start of the Kiva Daily. And 
it's we have you know several hundred writers now and I just love getting like the DMs and the emails and text messages from people saying, Oh my gosh, like, thank you so much for your platform. It's really elevated my personal brand and it's helped me gain exposure. And I mean, people are literally getting sales from their articles. It, it's ridiculous. I've got to set up some type of affiliate thing. I'm being stupid right now for not doing that, but <laughs> it's, it's been, it's been, it's been amazing, dude. Yeah. It's Best been really fun. And I, I love writing there too. It's just, it's a really, it's a, it's a nice platform. Your team is incredible. Like, articles like anything anything that happens like it, it it's it, it's so professional and uh it's only going to keep getting bigger like even since we've been building our relationship i've watched it just grow and grow and grow and it's going to be really cool to uh to see where it goes over the next six months to a year and, and beyond so um dylan i uh i want to i want to let you go i know you got a busy schedule but if uh if somebody wants to reach out to you, if they want to possibly start writing for Kivo Daily, if they want to talk to you about working together, how can somebody get in touch with you? Yeah, let's do let's do, just do DMs on Instagram, just at Dylan Kivo, D-I-L-L-O-N-K-I-V as in Victor O, probably the quickest way. Yeah, and the ironic thing is that's how we uh, we, we met each other. I, I think I DM'd you, so <laughs> Yes, it was. It works. Dylan answers his DMs. And uh, Dylan, I'm so grateful for you. And thanks for coming on. And like I said in the beginning, I'm never too proud to say it. I love you like a brother. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Giant Voices Podcast. If you love the show, don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a review. Also, if you have questions, message us on Instagram at Giants underscore voices or message Carson at Carson Jones.